Today we conclude our series on Ted Bundy. We'll pick up with his continued killings in Colorado and Idaho, cover his first arrest, his escape, his first stint in prison, and yet another escape. We'll then follow Bundy on the run to the horrible state of Florida, where his killings continue, eventually leading to his final arrest, trial, and execution. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you're feeling especially patriotic this weekend, stick around. What better way to celebrate America than by cranking up old Sparky and having a good old-fashioned weenie roast, courtesy of Mr. Theodore Bundy. This is Necronomapod. People here have been anticipating for 10 bitter years. The Day State prison officials wired up the chair called Old Sparky and ordered Theodore Robert Bundy to take his seat. It's time for him to go. And now I have a daughter that lives in Lake City and I want him gone. For these Floridians, the execution was a chance to vent their anger and demonstrate their hatred toward the man responsible for at least three deaths here and the legal system that allowed Bundy to survive three previous death warrants ordering his execution. I'm saying that he ought to die, and all the ones that serve the honor for testing, even the judges and the jury, the ones that's all been against him and kept him alive this long, they should be done the same way as he's going to get if he gets it, and hope God he gets it. I just realized I didn't put vodka in my drink. Is it just water? Yeah. It's just fucking bubbly <laughs> on uh, ice. You've been drinking it for a little bit? Yeah, bro? and I, I just took a sip and I was like, why does this taste funny? And I'm like, wait a minute. I was wondering why you were staring at it. <laughs> I like looked and I was like, I don't think I put alcohol in this. This is sober us. Here it is. That's more than a shot, fella. Yeah, that's a lot of fuck. <laughs> Stir now, though. Needs your finger. And uh, anyways, this is uh, three and a half years into the show, and I think we're setting a record for the first time ever. Ian has shortened a series on us. How about that? Right. There was no good stopping point with this. There was no. I agree. Like, yeah. Cliffhanger. It was like, let's just bust this out. I agree. Good call. Yeah. Well, it started. It was supposed to be two parts. So I guess in the end, you still did keep your streak going. Yeah, technically. Bundy <laughs> bumped up to three, but then even before he sent us there, he goes, guys, just say now it's going to be going four. And then you got it done in three. Yep. Look Crazy world out there. But we do <laughs> we do have a wild and thorough show, so we should probably just go ahead and jump on into it because we got a lot to get into. So where we left off on part two, investigators in Washington had found Bundy's burial ground on Mount Taylor. And Bundy had moved on to Utah where he started killing again. His longtime girlfriend, Liz, had reported Bundy to the authorities multiple times. And after visiting Liz, Bundy stopped off in Colorado and murdered Corinne Campbell. That's the one at the hotel, right? Right, where she just like vanished. Out of nowhere. Bundy killed Corinne Campbell on January 12th, 1975. And his burial site on Mount Taylor was found on March 1st, 1975. According to the FBI's timeline, Bundy was buying gas multiple times in Salt Lake City and was accounted for at his law school classes. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Bundy pops up in Wyoming on March 14th buying gas. The next day on March 15th, Bundy was back in Colorado buying gas in Dillon, Silverthorne, stopped in a Holiday Inn in Frisco, and then finally ending up in Vail, Colorado. It seems like Bundy was in that frantic state of mind where he needed to find a victim ASAP because at 9 p.m. that night, Bundy found 26-year-old Julie Cunningham. 
I forgot to bring this up in part one, but Bundy loves skiing. He picked up on it in either junior high or high school and it stuck with him. It was something that one of the only things that he um, got him to kind of fit in with other people. Okay. Do you guys just ski? No, I have never. I always played hockey growing up, so I was I ice skated, but mm. I've never. I used to like skiing. I mean, like Ohio, New York skiing, not real Colorado skiing. <laughs> but yeah, right. A little different. <laughs> What's actually interesting is we had people on one of the uh, posts we did, the one with him and his um his girlfriend, the one we posted on like social media, mm-hmm. and people were commenting like, "What the fuck pants is he wearing?" Oh, those and big snow pants. They look like snow pants, yeah. like skiing yeah. pants. So that all makes sense. Yeah, he was big into skiing. And you know what? Between the skiing and then the whole, um, like, oh, I work for the the Republican Party doing all this, like, voting stuff and his arrogant ass attitude, he reminds me of, like, the villain from an 80s comedy movie. Like, we were talking about this beforehand. Um, better Off Dead? Yeah, Better Off Dead. That's exactly what he reminds me of. <laughs> That's really funny. Was that James Bader? Is that who plays... I don't remember who plays the villain. James Spader. James Spader. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Is that he's, right? Is yeah, that who it was? I think he's the villain in that. I could see that. He plays a good villain. Yeah. That's he was a villain in another movie too for the eighties. One with Molly Ringwald, right? Is it pretty in pink? Pretty in pink. Yeah. There was a villain in that. Well, yeah, he's like the rich dickhead oh, type. That's what Ted Bundy reminds me of with the skiing. Right. Like, the rich dickhead. And he's like, oh, I've worked for the Republican party and hold my ski poles. Yeah. <laughs> I go to law school. Best part in that better off dead was the paper boy with, I want my $2. It's my $2. (laughs) You don't like any of those movies, do you? I have not seen those, but they don't sound like they need, I need to go rush out and add those to my list of never ending. Anytime pretty in pink comes on, I will sit down and watch the entire movie. Is that on? I've never seen it on TV. Is that on TV a lot? Yeah, I think so. Have you ever snowboarded or did you just ski? Ski. I always thought snowboarding looked fun, too. Yeah. I would try both. I'd love to do both, but I'm getting close to that age where I don't know if my body can handle it anymore. I definitely cannot do it. I'd anymore. fall once, and I'd just be like, just put me down. Where's Kevorkian? <laughs> Send him up. So Julie Cunningham was a ski instructor, and by Bundy's own admission, he was walking around town that night on crutches and carrying skiing equipment. Bundy said that he started up some small talk with Julie as she was walking to meet some friends for dinner. Julie agreed to help Bundy get back to his car and just like all the others Bundy hit her when she wasn't looking and pushed her into his Volkswagen Beetle. Once she was inside Bundy handcuffed her and immediately got on the highway. He said that Julie came to while they were driving and started asking what was going on. Bundy obviously scouted out a secluded area that afternoon in Vail because he went straight to a wooded area. Once he got to this wooded area he choked Julie unconscious and raped her. Then he got out of the car and left the passenger door open. And this was all kind of like this master plan of his. And when Julie came to, Bundy let her run for a bit. When he figured that Julie had gotten hope that she was free, Bundy chased her down and strangled her to death. He hid her nude body in the woods and took her clothes and the rest of her belongings to a dumpster. Bundy admitted to driving back to this location from Salt Lake City on two separate occasions. We know Bundy buried Julie's body on the second visit, but other than that, we don't know what he was doing. I think it's safe to assume he was probably doing something along the lines of that shit we talked about last week where he was putting makeup on his victims and washing their hair. Oh, I'm sure he was. Why else would he go back there? Yeah. You know. Is he getting more sadistic now? That's pretty fucking evil. 
Hunting them down like that, making them think they got away. Hunting them down is just killing and dumping their body, not really doing it for them anymore. Didn't we talked about something he did last week? And I can't remember what it was, but we talked about how he was like escalating. Like maybe he was getting bored with just the quick hit over the head. I think so. Kill them, yeah. you know, rape them uh, type thing. And I don't remember what we were discussing, but it seemed like he was pushing it and pushing it. So maybe this is the new thing was keeps going up the, the thrill of like the hunt. On April 6th, Bundy abducted 25-year-old Denise Olerson near the Utah-Colorado border while she was riding her bike to her parents' house. All we know about this murder is that Denise got into a fight with her boyfriend and she was going to her parents' house to cool off. Bundy didn't give details other than he abducted her while she was riding her bike and Denise's body was never found. It seemed like for the time being that Bundy's M.O. was to kill outside of Utah because the FBI's gas receipts have Bundy buying gas frequently in Salt Lake City for about a month. And then he randomly showed up in Pocatello, Idaho on May 5th, 1975. The following day on May 6th, Bundy said that he drove around town until he spotted 12-year-old Lynette Culver. Bundy said that he thought she was older than she looked, but once he got her in his car, he clearly would have known that she was a child. Bundy said that he went back to his hotel room and drowned her in his bathtub. Bundy said that he dumped her body in a nearby river, which was probably the Snake River, and Lynette's body was never found. Jeez, 12-year-olds now? Yeah, we're going to talk about that later. He's, he doesn't really like to admit any of the child murders at all. Embarrassed. And so like this, he made sure that he pointed out that I swore she was older than, yeah. than she was. But you know a 12-year-old when you see a 12-year-old. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you may not know they're 12, but you certainly know they're not 18 yeah. or 25. <laughs> yeah, it's a child. Like, that matters in this case. I mean, th- this whole discussion's sure. preposterous to begin with, but yeah. But just him making excuses about it, it's just more pathetic. Didn't uh, Evil Knievel try to jump uh, Snake River and failed? I, I'm, I, I'm not the historian that you would think I would be on Evil Knievel. <laughs> Well, I actually get annoyed with a lot of those stunt shows now because it's like an hour, two hours long of just them hyping it and commercials for like the last 30 seconds where they actually do the stunt. And you're like, all right, whatever. This is not I'll fucking catch it on YouTube. Do they still do shows like that? They I don't remember. Mm. Wasn't it like uh, Evil Knievel's kid did it for a while and there was other stunts that they did. Like I remember guys like walking over like the Grand Canyon, like on a, a tightrope mm-hmm. like stuff like that like fox would always show and yeah, his kid was doing some wild shit yeah but i don't know if they still do that stuff i haven't seen any in a while now it's all singing competitions <laughs> i'm sorry for bringing it up are you going to be able to finish the show i know hearing about evil knievel we'll sometimes takes you out of commission I for, might fall, I for might the rest of the night get sad and fall asleep over here with, <laughs> with my non-alcoholic drink that i i have <laughs> Beep. It's like two percent of the audience that are going to understand that. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. About a week or so after, Bundy had three former co-workers from DES come stay at his apartment for a week. This also included Carol Ann Boone. After this, Bundy went back to Seattle and spent a week with Liz. This was specifically the week of June 6th, and the two of them talked about getting married the following Christmas. Liz still didn't say a word about reporting Bundy to the authorities and gave no suspicion to Bundy that anything was wrong. Even though Bundy was talking about marriage, he left out the fact that he was banging Carol Ann Boone and a Utah law student on the side. This Liz is pretty interesting because she knows it's him, right? She's very certain it's him and she's letting him stay there with her and her daughter. 
who it comes out later he was molesting, right? Uh, yeah. Liz didn't know the molesting thing at the time. I would hope not. Yeah, yeah. right, right. But just the fact that she knew he was probably a pretty dangerous individual. I think the way I would think that it happened is that she's probably like, this guy, he, he might kill me and my daughter if he gets any word or suspicion yeah. that. I think it's probably possible. It had to have at least entered her mind, right? Yeah. Well, I think in part two, we said like she was steadfast and like, all right, I'm going to keep an eye on this guy till someone fucking listens to me. I've called the local police. I've called Colorado. Nobody's doing anything. I know it's him, which is just crazy how brave she was. And I think that adds to being scared of what he would do to her as well when he's just walking around free. Sure. Because they weren't Not, doing anything. Right. So, yeah, maybe better for her to hide in plain sight until they actually pick him up. Depending on what report you read or you know documentary you watch, in August or September of 1975, Ted Bundy was baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints a.k.a. Mormonism. Bundy didn't participate in anything, and he most definitely did not live a Mormon lifestyle. I think this was just to build like a potential alibi or have good standing within the community. Like if he ever got arrested, it would be more of a shock. Like no one would believe that a Mormon law student would be capable of this kind of stuff. Yeah. I guess the magic underpants didn't prevent murder, huh? I guess not. No. <laughs> One's not to question, though. That, no, not my place. And they came to his defense, too. They rallied around. Them. Yeah, they, they rallied around. Letters, and they were sure he was got the wrong guy. <laughs> he could never do this. He's a Mormon. He's a white Christian. He couldn't have done this. Come on. <laughs> I did see an interesting article. I can't remember who wrote it, but it said that Bundy wasn't cunning. He was just white and a Republican. <laughs> I don't disagree at all. There's a point that, to be made with that. That gets you pretty far, I think. <laughs> I believe until the late 70s, Mormons didn't even let black people become priests, right? Like, oh, I thought that went on like longer than that. I thought was that it was the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's still a thing, Dave. I know what you're talking about. I mean, Mormon church is a bunch of huge racists. So I, you yeah. Know. <laughs> too bad Ted was too old for his mission call, right? He could have went out in his white shirt and uh, proselytized across the country. So many victims at that point, like it's just could like have, a buffet. Could have rung them up. Yeah. Back in Washington state, police were getting a little closer to solving the case. They were kind of dumbfounded how all the disappearances and murders of these young women just stopped. They were going on the theory that their guy had possibly been convicted of a crime and sent to jail, or maybe he died. The getting convicted of a crime theory was ruled out pretty quick. So the only way that they were going to figure out who this was, was to comb through thousands of leads that they were getting. Uh, remember we talked about that they were getting 200 per day, which is fucking crazy in the seventies to try and sort through all that. Yep. The King County police department had access to a very shitty computer, which was used for payroll. Essentially the computer was wiped of all the payroll data and officers started trading shifts, just entering data. Hey, we're going to need you guys to work some extra shifts, just entering data. Also, uh, we're wiping out payroll, so you might not get paid for a few months. We'll worry about that on the back end, though. Keep it up, guys. Good work. They, like, exhausted their resources to do this, to put all these tips together. Good for them. Like, over time, like, they went, you know, the budget went through the roof. Isn't it crazy? You know, like, one admin can do it in an afternoon now, right? Yeah. And back then, it's like, nope. 
Shut it the fuck down. <laughs> There's video of them working on these com- on this computer and it's super fucking shitty. Oh, I'm sure. That's not that's even like pre what did I have? A Commodore 64 in the early 80s? Before that even. Yeah. Yeah, we're talking 1975. I have no idea what they had back then. I certainly don't. I wasn't alive for 11 more years. <laughs> <laughs> All of the tips the family and friends of the victims and Volkswagen owners in the state with the name Ted were entered out of this data. 26 people hit a potential match. One of them being Ted Bundy out of them. How many had, you know, all those different people calling in the same tip, right? <laughs> right. Like he should have rose right to the top of the pile. In the early morning hours of August 16th, 1975, Utah Highway Patrol officer Bob Hayward was patrolling Granger, which is a suburb of Salt Lake City. As Officer Hayward was patrolling, he noticed a suspicious vehicle driving slowly through neighborhoods. Spoiler, it was a tan Volkswagen Beetle. (laughs) As soon as Bundy noticed the patrol car, he sped up. And when Officer Hayward turned on his lights, Bundy kept driving and gained speed. Eventually, Bundy stopped and he got out of the car with his hands up and started walking towards Officer Hayward. Officer Hayward told him to stop, at which point Bundy pulled out his ID, which I would like to point out that if this officer, like by today's standards, had every right to shoot Ted. Yeah, dropped them. Sure. Yeah. Well, and you also, don't get again, out. Of- <laughs> this is back to that. Bundy was a white, you know, Mormon you know, law student. Yeah, yeah, Mormon law student, Republican. With the purdy haircut. Imagine yeah. if he would have reached for his ID and he was not any yeah. of that. Yep. Yeah, we're talking. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're talking three o'clock in the morning, somewhere three or four. Gets out of his car, walks towards the cop, puts his hand in his pocket. It's crazy. Should have been the end of the story, probably. Mm. Or could have been the end could of the story. Could have been. It's a better word. Officer Hayward asked Bundy what he was doing, creeping around Granger, and just like, why the fuck won't, wouldn't you just pull over? Bundy said that he was on his way home from watching a movie at a drive-in theater and that he pulled over as soon as he noticed the officer's lights. He said that he kind of zoned out because it was late and he didn't realize that uh, officer Hayward was trying to pull him over. Bundy was about to be charged with evading the police, which gave officer Hayward the right to search Bundy's vehicle. It's so stupid. If you just pulled over, you would have got a, you wouldn't have even got a ticket. You would have been on your way. Yeah. Dumb. You say, Oh yeah, I was coming home from this movie. Sorry. Yeah. I got lost. Well, we say dumb, at. but like given everything this guy has, has done probably a little bit of panic sets in. And you're not thinking rationally like, oh, I'm just going to pull over and this will be fine. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. But if he wouldn't have tried to evade, we might, this might have gone on a lot longer, you know? The first thing he noticed was that the passenger seat of the Beetle had been removed and there was a bag sitting in its place. Inside the bag, Officer Hayward found a ski mask, pantyhose with eye holes cut out, a crowbar, handcuffs, garbage bags, rope, and an ice pick. At that point, Officer Hayward knew that at minimum, this was a kit to break into houses, so he called for backup. You look like a nice young man. What are you doing with this stuff? That's literally what they said to him. I'm sure. The officer's like, wait a minute. You look all right, but I don't like this equipment you have. I'm going to take it. You be on your way. Were you at a costume party? <laughs> they literally said that they're like, what is a guy like you doing with this stuff on you? Also, Dave, how dare you uh, disparage the uh, the voice of Barney Fife? He would not have let him go. He'd have been all about this. He w- he could not wait to throw Bundy over the hood and arrest him right there. 
And his name's Ted Bundy. <laughs> he's the, I can't do that voice. He's the law hard. enforcement officer we need in all these stories. Barney? Yeah. He was a go-getter. He knew how to handle that pistol. Wow. <laughs> the one that uh, he wasn't even allowed to put bullets in. <laughs> I think he was allowed to carry one in his pocket. He couldn't keep it in the gun. <laughs> So not long after Detective Jerry Thompson showed up and confirmed that the movie Bundy said that he saw was not playing. What movie was it? I don't Any know. Idea? No, I, I tried don't know. to look. I couldn't find it. I was just curious. I think it was Hook <laughs> <laughs> with uh, Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams. And that yeah. horrible Robin Williams. Yeah, awful movie. Juliette Lewis, right? She's Tinkerbell. Or uh, not? Uh, Ju- uh, Julia Roberts. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, she was. That's right. That part's okay. Uh, I will stand up for Robin Williams in many circumstances. Hook, I can't really. As a kid, sure, I, I loved it. Yeah. I don't think I could sit through five minutes of it now. Awful. Dustin Hoffman's way better than to do something like that. What was he thinking? Paycheck. <laughs> yeah, he's probably living that Nick Cage life. Right. You think he's he's on that Nick Cage, uh, um, Bruce Willis, Morgan Freeman deal where he's like, you just here's my amount. No, I don't think he does that. Probably not. As soon as Detective Thompson looked at Bundy's ID, he knew that there was a lot more to this than picking up a guy who might have been on his way to break into a house. Detective Thompson was like, this guy matches the description of the guy who failed to abduct Carol DeRanche. And furthermore, the name Ted Bundy had been on his mind ever since Liz Kopfler called their office to voice concerns that Bundy was responsible for all the missing women and girls. Oh, so they knew that name then. Yeah, Detective Thompson knew this name. There's like some really, really good police work in this story. And then there's some really yeah. shitty. They're like, oh, this this white, handsome, you know, law student couldn't possibly do this. Yeah. Interesting turn of events here. And we're just getting started. Bundy was arrested for evading police and the wheels were set in motion to have intent charges added for the obvious burglary kit. Police were able to get a search warrant for his apartment and they found a guide to Colorado ski resorts with a check mark next to the Wildwood Inn where Corinne Campbell was abducted and murdered. They also found a pamphlet for a Viewmont High School play in Bountiful, Utah, the same one where Deborah Kent was last seen at. This was all circumstantial evidence, as well as the items found in Bundy's car, so police had to let him go. But they knew that Bundy was their guy, and Salt Lake City Police put 24-hour surveillance on Bundy. Um, this is where those supposed Polaroids we talked about last week get brought up. According to Bundy, he had a collection of Polaroids of the victims that he had taken after he killed them. Bundy said that the police missed them in their search, and as soon as he got back to his apartment, he destroyed them. Wow. I wonder what was on there. Can't even imagine. I don't know, I mean, The crime scene photos for this case are super fucking creepy. Mm. I think it's just because of the picture quality you know 70s pictures and they're super fuzzy yeah they're really creepy pictures yeah so i would assume something similar yeah you giving any thought this week to your uh btk photo shoot mike i have not thought about it since the last time you brought it up (laughs) okay (laughs) checking in on it (laughs) we'll see maybe we'll save that for that uh high level patreon tier maybe our only fans were thinking about getting started okay do that While Salt Lake City police had Bundy on 24-hour surveillance, Detective Thompson flew out to Seattle to interview Liz. She told them about Bundy's odd behavior leading up to him moving to Utah. 
She told Detective Thompson about items like radios or new TVs that would randomly show up at her house or Bundy's apartment. And she knew damn well that Bundy couldn't afford them. Liz said that Bundy would get super pissed if she asked him about how he got the new TV or, or these other items saying, quote, if you tell anyone, I'll break your fucking neck. And he talks about that a lot. And um, remember I said how the book um, with Stephen McCod is like the first 40 pages are nonsense until he comes up with that third person right, bullshit. Right. He thought he brags up a lot about how he could steal shit. He's all about stealing stuff mm. Said so that he could just walk into a like he would be walking by, see a TV in the front window of a place. Like, I want that. Just walk in, take it like not and just walk out like. Like he was supposed I mean, to be there if you doing do it, it with confidence. Yeah. People are probably like, oh, he must, you know, he must have paid for that with somebody else and he's just picking it up. Act like he belonged there. Yeah, right. No one's going to accuse a guy that looks like that of uh, shoplifting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look, we do this every week with this podcast. We act like we belong here. And <laughs> somehow or another, we've been in three and a half years. At some point, someone's going to figure out we don't know what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's funny because we talked about this before. People like uh, Charles Ng and several of these guys were just bad thieves and they had criminal records because they were not good at stealing. Right. Maybe partly because they look like they did and Ted's the opposite because he looks like he does. Very true. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, but take Jerry Brudos. He got in trouble for stealing a lot. Jerry Brudos versus Ted Bundy exactly. just by appearances. Yeah, but there is something to be said about the confidence factor too. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm you know, oh, he had all the confidence in the world. And like we just said, I think there's something to be said for that as well. <laughs> Charles saying is such a shitty thing. <laughs> he brought the whole thing down, <laughs> crashing down, stealing over like a hardware store, like a hammer or something. Yeah, it was a hammer, a saw, or something <laughs> real dumb. <laughs> Remember, he saw the police talking to Leonard Lake, and he just turned around and walked the other way. <laughs> it's like, nope. See ya. <laughs> what was his uh, thing? Uh, Dad died, mommy cried, baby fried. Was that his yeah? Talking about thing burning that baby say? alive. Oh, <laughs> you made this no longer fun. <laughs> oh, was this fun up until this point? Well, him being a, a shitty thief and <laughs> ruining the whole thing, stealing a hammer. Yeah, it's a little fun. <laughs> Liz told Detective Thompson about other items she found at her house or Bundy's apartment. These items included crutches, plaster used for casts, a meat cleaver that was never used for cooking, surgical gloves, and a bag full of women's clothing. She also shed some light on their relationship that it wasn't so picture perfect like some documentaries would have you believe. Like, like how could this guy be living this perfect life with this woman and then do this on the side but he was molesting their child so how was this a perfect relationship like yeah. how are documentaries here he gets romanticized a lot he does you're right he gets romanticized as like this well we've already said a million times this this good-looking white guy whatever um that was just killing pretty women didn't we it get doesn't into get into the you have to talk about kimberly leach at the very end mm -hmm. um but the other 12-year-old girl, uh, Lynette, she doesn't get brought up that much. Him molesting Liz's daughter doesn't get brought up very much. It's very romanticized. I had never heard that, so yeah, it doesn't. It gets a, a, a slightly hazy for me. Um, might have been all the you know 107 Diet Millers I had. But uh, we had our Zoom happy hour with the uh, $10 patrons this past weekend. Didn't we talk a little bit about like the romanticism of serial killers and how it kind of is just, it's wild how like people like Ted Bundy do get romanticized and, and like why that is. I think with that, that sounds familiar as opposed to like a, you know, you don't ever like romanticize a Timothy McVeigh. 
like the one-off kind of like or like terrorist type or like a school shooter where it's all done in one thing mm-hmm. as opposed to the guy who, you know, there's the investigation and the hunt. They, it seems like they get more romanticized. I don't know. I, I remember us discussing it a bit. So I think it was a good conversation. You're right. It's an interesting contrast. Yeah. In perception. I don't know why exactly. Right. Cause they're both, I mean, like a McVeigh and a Bundy are both doing brutal things. Uh, you know, and Bundy's was a lot longer. Um, you know, but yet he gets, you know, like you said, he in the romanticism and, and like people not touching on some aspects of his life that should be that are horrific. So Liz told them about how Bundy would be very obsessive over the way she looked when she talked about cutting her hair. He would get super pissed and wanted her to keep it long and parted in the middle. Sometimes Liz would wake up in the middle of the night and Bundy would be under their covers with a flashlight examining Liz's body. It's not weird at all. Yeah, like, what do you do? Do you just lay there? Like, I have no idea. That's fucking weird. Especially after you know what you know. Like, you're pretty damn sure that yeah. he's the killer. What do you, you just lay there, right? You think a knife's about to plunge in you? You hold the cover over his head and you Dutch oven him, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you should do. No man wants that. Some men want that, probably. Probably a lot of men, actually. <laughs> More than I care to think about. <laughs> Detective Thompson then wanted to compare notes. Like we said on part two, there were dates uh, that Bundy would rush out of things like the whole pizza and pipes thing. Detective Thompson was able to confirm that Bundy was not with Liz on any of the nights the Pacific Northwest victims had disappeared. And Bundy wasn't with her on the day Janice Ott and Denise Nasland were abducted from Lake Sammamish State Park. Bundy wasn't stupid and he knew that police weren't just going to drop their investigation into him. So thinking that he was real smart, Bundy sold his Volkswagen Beetle to a teenage kid. Since he was under constant surveillance, police impounded the car from the kid. When I was reading about this, I hope they paid him for it. They weren't like, just take it. Like, this is ours now. (laughs) Fuck you, kid. (laughs) Well, if they didn't have enough probable cause to seize it from him, I don't know that they could have seized it from the kid, right? So hopefully they bought it off the kid. That's what I'm hoping for. They just didn't say, fuck you, we're taking this. Uh, but from there, uh, the FBI came in and tore the car apart, and they found hairs matching Melissa Smith, Corinne Campbell, and Carol DeBranche. None of these young women had ever met one another, making it absolutely impossible for Bundy to explain that away. From there, police issued a summons for Bundy to appear in a lineup. Carol DeBranche immediately identified Bundy as Officer Roseland. Remember, he just said he was a cop, um, and Carol had no idea that his name was actually Ted Bundy. Witnesses from Viewmont High School identified Ted Bundy as the guy that they saw pacing back and forth outside the auditorium the night Deborah Kent disappeared. There was no trace of Deborah Kent at the time, so police couldn't charge Bundy with her disappearance, but they had more than enough to charge him with the aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assault of Carol DeBranche. So that's the lineup where he showed up with a brand new haircut looking completely different, right? And they had to get rid of the seven officers that were going to do the lineup and find seven new officers that resembled him right. for the lineup. Thought he was clever. She's like, yeah, that's him immediately. Like ten, <laughs> two seconds. There he is. Like, no, Yep, that's still him. You and your dopey haircut. Nice try, fucko. <laughs> they had Dikembe Mutombo there. He's like, no, 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 not today. <laughs> Bundy's mother spent 15000 to bail him out, and while he was waiting for trial, Bundy lived with Liz. At this point, there was no way that Bundy could know that she was the one that had turned him in and had been cooperating with the police the most. 
because that could even at that point potentially ruin the investigation since detective thompson was relying on her so much like they actually flew out there and yeah yeah we've criticized law enforcement in the past for not working with one another and things like that but leading up to the trial for the attempted kidnapping of carol deranch Detectives Jerry Thompson from Utah, Robert Keppel from Washington, and Mike Fisher from Colorado all met in Aspen to exchange notes on um, the missing women in their states. They left this meeting 100% convinced that Bundy was responsible for all of it. They just needed something concrete to start charging him with murders. The trial started in February 1976, and Bundy decided to go with a bench trial. This advice was given to him by his lawyer based on the publicity of the case. It was unlikely that Bundy was going to get a favorable jury. After a four-day trial, Bundy was found guilty of both charges and sentenced to one to 15 years in the Utah State Prison. You know, I almost always say go with a bench trial and avoid a jury trial. I'm not Mm. sure I I agree in this situation. I think people that their perception of him that we've already talked about, a lot of people thought he wasn't guilty just based on appearance. So maybe this was the one time you should have tried to convince a jury. You know, like the male version of a Casey Anthony. Type. Exactly. But did a lot of that um, idea of him come out after the fact or did he was he even aware of that at this point? Like, was I think, he aware that people. Yeah, I, that's true. I guess I don't know how aware, but people came to the trial and stood outside and proclaimed his innocence and stuff. Right. Women just based on how he looked. There's still people today that question his innocence online. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Of course there are. So, I mean, for the exact opposite reasons why most people should never take a jury trial, I think he probably should have. I think it would have given him a better option, better chance. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for that. My opinion. Who knows? As a precursor to what we're going to talk about in a minute, while serving this sentence, in October of 1976, Bundy was caught hiding in some bushes during outdoors time. Guards found him with an escape kit of maps, flight schedules, and a social security card. Guards threw him in solitary confinement, and as he sat there, investigators in Colorado were ready to charge Bundy with the murder of Corinne Campbell. I like to think they were like kind of really small bushes, and he was just kind of like hiding. <laughs> and they're like, hey, asshole, we fucking see you. Like you can see three quarters of him. Yeah, like, but he's got like his big map out. He's like looking and like plotting his escape. He's just like squatting down. His ass is hanging out the end of the bush in like a bright orange, you know, whatever <laughs> fucking get ups they give him. So he was going to burn his mom for the bail money, huh? I mean, 15 grand back then is probably 60, 70 grand. And we talked about that, I think, in part one, that he hated his mother after he found out the truth about yeah. everything. Good point. Yeah. He absolutely resented her. And she, I feel, actually feel really bad for his mom. We'll talk about her at the end more. But um, I think a lot of his hatred towards her was uh, not fair. Yeah. Yeah. Once the charges were brought, Bundy tried to fight being extradited. But eventually he gave up, and in January of 1977, he was transferred to the Garfield County Jail in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. Bundy said it was at that point he decided that if he ended up in Aspen again, he would 100% escape no matter what. On June 7th, 1977, Bundy was transferred from Garfield County to Pitkin County Courthouse in Aspen to start the preliminary hearings in the trial for the murder of Corinne Campbell. Bundy had decided he was going to defend himself, and the judge felt comfortable enough with Bundy that he allowed Bundy to not have to wear handcuffs or leg shackles. 
During a recess, Bundy asked for permission to use the courthouse's library to do research on his case. The judge granted him permission, which allowed Bundy to pretty much move freely wherever he wanted around the courthouse. That is insane. Look, maybe if he was never convicted of anything before, he was just his first time tried. He was the judge thought maybe he was innocent. Okay, but Bundy's a convicted felon doing 15 years. Why is the judge letting him walk around like this? He was convicted of aggravated kid, kidnapping. It's crazy. And now charged with murder. Like yeah, crazy. Bundy said that he was ready to make his escape the moment he got into the courthouse, but he was interrupted by the judge exiting his chambers. Like he was ready to just fucking take off as soon as he stepped foot in that place. Mm. As soon as he didn't have shackles or anything on, I'm he was sure, ready to yeah. be gone. Once recess came around and he had permission to move around wherever he wanted, Bundy decided that now was the time. Bundy moved to the window he wanted to jump out of, but was interrupted by a reporter who came back in to grab her purse. According to Bundy, he waited until he saw her walk out of the courthouse because he didn't want to land on her. As soon as she was out of the way, Bundy jumped out of the window, hurting his ankle, but he was pretty much fine. He jumped out of a second story window um, but told police afterwards that, quote, it could have been six stories. I still would have done it. I wish it was six stories. <laughs> Fuck boy. After landing, Bundy got up and jumped over two fences and then headed down an alley to a river. Bundy walked along the river until he reached a bridge and then climbed Aspen Mountain straight up for 3,000 feet until he reached the top. Once Bundy got to the top, he walked another two miles, but reached a point where he was blocked by unclimbable ridges. At that point, Bundy decided to climb down about a mile or two and hit the intersection of Castle Creek and Conundrum Creek. There, he found a cabin owned by Fritz Kayser. Bundy said that he knew the cabin was empty, but he decided to move on into a residential area of Conundrum Creek, where he claimed to have spent four hours looking for a secluded trail out. Lives up to its name, I guess. He was uh, quite a conundrum. He was got on himself <laughs> really befuddled him as to where to go. <laughs> Around 11 p.m. that night, Bundy found a trail, but by that time he was drenched in water and exhausted. He said that over the next two or three hours, he only made it another two or three miles because he kept losing the trail or falling asleep. This would have been 3.30 a.m. on June 8th. Bundy decided to go back to Fritz Kayser's cabin. There, Bundy sat and watched the cabin until 8 a.m. to be certain that no one was there, and then he broke in. Bundy ate what food was there, which he said was some tea, brown sugar, and spaghetti sauce, and then he slept for most of the day. You think he mixed it all? <laughs> <laughs> I would hope not. That's maybe the tea and brown sugar. That may be all right. Oh, there you go. What about the uh, like brown sugar and the spaghetti sauce? Isn't that? Uh, I guess it's chili, but isn't that like a, a skyline, the Cincinnati version, where they put the cinnamon in the? Uh, like the chili dog sauce, like mm, the chili dog know. sauce. I wonder what brown sugar would be like in the uh, pasta sauce. It reminded me because if you go to like one of those skylines, you could also get like a, like a spaghetti with the chili on oh, top okay. and it's like a cinnamon chili. I wonder what a brown sugar and a tomato sauce mm, would be like. I'm sure good. I use a lot of brown sugar in my chili. I'm sure it would be good. But you also don't have any pasta to put it on. So just eat it out of the jar. So it sounds like Bundy really lacked the outdoor and navigational type skills that you two possess to survive for very long like you guys would have been in mexico probably <laughs> like five been, hours no, right we would have been fine yeah obviously we and you also find way have a paper bag just be guy. smart enough to know you don't escape from prison or an arrest without planning 
some SpaghettiOs around town just to pick up on your way. <laughs> they got the new pop-off top. You don't need a can opener. You could just drink it out of the can. You're fine. Carol Ann Boone could have planted them for him, right? Could have if they he would have been a you know more of an outdoorsman like us. What are you going to do? <laughs> around midnight of June 9th, Bundy headed out with warm clothes, a 22 caliber rifle, two boxes of ammo, and a first aid kit. Bundy started his travels through areas of Colorado that Honestly, you just have to look at the map that the police made to understand it. It really won't translate through audio. But eventually he reached Maroon Creek and stopped to build a fire. Bundy said that this was the most defeated he had ever felt in his life because when he went to the water, he realized it was running the wrong way, meaning he was headed in the wrong direction. Stupid ass. (laughs) I wouldn't even have known that. I would have looked at the water and be like, oh, fuck, good. I got water to drink. I wouldn't have paid attention to which way it was running. What's the difference between you and me? (laughs) Bundy turned and started traveling north, which was really south. But by 3 p.m. that afternoon, his knees started locking up, so he decided to rest and ended up sleeping for six hours. Bundy pretty much wandered in circles for the next three days until he randomly found the Aspen Golf Course, where he stole a car and drove back toward Aspen. Police had set up roadblocks all over, stopping cars looking for Bundy. They had helicopters out, search dogs. Like, they were really fucking looking for him. So two officers stopped his car, and after six days, Bundy was back in custody. (laughs) Clown. (laughs) Bundy had access to lawyers at the time, which, like we said earlier, all his Mormon friends, you know, rallied around him and were like, there's no way he did this. So I'm pretty sure that these were the people giving him advice. But the reality of the situation was that Bundy started to win a bunch of pretrial motions and the case against him was falling apart regarding the murder of Corinne Campbell. If Bundy would have chilled out, he probably would have beaten that case and then prosecutors in other states probably would have been hesitant to bring other murder charges against him. But Bundy didn't see it that way, so he started to come up with a new escape plan. Shooting himself in the foot again. With the help of Carol Ann Boone smuggling in items, Bundy got a hold of a floor plan of the Garfield County Jail, a hacksaw blade, and $500 in cash. Didn't she smuggle him drugs in her hoo-ha, too, sometimes? Yeah, later on in life. Is that after, later? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, later on. Does she ever get charged for any of this? No. She smuggled some jizz out of prison in her hoo-ha, right? She did, she did do that. <laughs> I had questions about, we'll get to that though. Remember in Goodfellas when Karen's smuggling in uh, Henry drugs, but then she sees his mistress yep. on the thing. So she gets pissed. She starts throwing it out in the, in the open. He's like, fucking Karen, will you settle down? <laughs> Anyways, just an excuse to bring up Goodfellas. In the evenings, while other prisoners were showering, Bundy skipped out on showers and slowly sawed a one square foot hole in the ceiling of his cell. Which that's another thing. I don't know how this jail worked, obviously, or if he was getting permission, but that doesn't happen in jail where you're just allowed to like, oh, I'm not going to shower today. Like, no, motherfucker, you're doing everything everybody else is doing. You're not just going to get to yeah. stay back. You got to shower. You're giving up your butthole and then you're going to come back in your cell. <laughs> like, Boy. you don't get out of this. <laughs> but it's Andy Dufresne had to do it. Why doesn't he? <laughs> but this is county jail. It's not prison. It's an aspen right it's a little more relaxed environment i'm guessing yeah i just and his ass has been a lot (laughs) i just feel like he should troubling (laughs) circumstances he should have been watched a little more than this after one escape 
successful escape. He, he's still not being perceived as the violent criminal that he is. Right. No, and he's yeah. getting getting privileges. Like this is the guy that jumped out of the window. Yeah. Like, and he's like, oh, well, he's just not going to shower today. Okay. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I feel like he yeah. should be under a, a I, I agree. very close eye. Welcome to Aspen. Well, let's take that ass for a spin. <laughs> there you go. Bundy had also pretty much stopped eating and lost 35 pounds so he would be able to fit through the hole. Once he was skinny enough, Bundy started to do trial runs at night to get an idea of the layout of the duck work and stuff like that. He did this for weeks, and other prisoners complained about noises in the ceiling at night, but the guards never investigated their claims. If only there was something to tip us off. <laughs> <laughs> on December 30th, 1977, most of the jail staff was on Christmas break, and prisoners considered nonviolent were allowed to be out with their families. See, it's very relaxed. It's got to be. Yeah, if they're getting furlough. Yeah. Just because the jailers don't want to work that night. So <laughs> yeah. You guys can go home for the weekend. <laughs> so Bundy saw this as the perfect opportunity. He piled books and paperwork in his bed to make it look like uh, like a person was sleeping under the covers and climbed into the ceiling. He made his way over to the jailer's apartment, who was out with his wife that night, and got some clothes out of the jailer's closet. Bundy then walked out of the front door like nothing happened, and he was free. Just like Andy Dufresne wearing the warden's uh, suit, right? Yeah, but what the fuck is a jailer's apartment? Like, what's a jailer? Like, the main... The way that I read like the it. warden of a county jail. Yeah. Like the guy in charge of like the head guard has an apartment attached. Yeah. To the like jail. he lives there. Like, fuck that. I'll get my own house <laughs> down the road. I'm not living here. It's the perks of the job, Mike. I get to live with all the prisoners. Right. <laughs> and, and we're going to take your rent out of your paycheck now. <laughs> it's 500 bucks a month. You owe us. So Bunny made his way to where cars were parked outside like on the sides of streets and he opened every car until he found one that had the keys left inside, which he was able to do this multiple times throughout this story. When he stole cars, most of the time they already had their keys in it. I don't understand why people were just leaving their keys in their cars. It's in the seventies. Isn't this the time, time when people didn't lock their front doors, right? It's like, absurd. Well, we locked our front doors in the seventies. Well, but I know where you live too, <laughs> <laughs> where you grew up. That's a smart move, pal. I just, I don't understand that. That seems so, I don't feel like times have changed that much. Obviously, Ted Bundy existed in the 70s. I have admittedly left my keys in my car in my driveway overnight in this in our area. And it's not smart, but I have no, not. It's not. And not like not on purpose. <laughs> yeah. I have like forgot, but like like might have remembered in the middle of the night and was like, eh, it'll still be there. I'm not worried, which is stupid. I'm going to go take his car one night when he does that and pull it in the neighbor's drive I don't, front lawn or I don't something. Do that all the time. Lay up some empty beer cans next to it. Well, the other thing nowadays is there's so many cameras that, you know, that's true. We'll just be like, oh, oh, there's Dave taking my car. Why is he driving over my neighbor's yard? <laughs> Leaving a note. Mike was here on the, like the putting in like the, uh, the windshield wiper. <laughs> well, no, it's me. It's you, pal. So he got this car. Um, and drove until it broke down. From there, he hitchhiked to Vail, Colorado, which got him 60 miles away from the jail. In Vail, Bundy took a bus to Denver, and then in Denver, he took a plane to Chicago. When the plane landed in Chicago around noon on December 31st, guards back in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, had just discovered that Bundy was missing. So he had a 17-hour head start on them. It's a nice lead time. Already in Chicago. Damn. 
Well, the last time he got six days and he walked in a circle for the entire time. So <laughs> he did much better this time. The bar was set pretty low. Why didn't he go to Mexico? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe Chicago was as far that he could get with whatever money he had. Or that arrogance of, I just need to get out of here and I'm fine. I guess. I just need yeah. to get away from he'll here. blend in another part went, of the country. You know, he went almost as far as you could. Well, he'll get as far as, you know, maybe he could. And maybe he just thought, oh, and we'll talk about it. You know, he wants a fresh start. Maybe he's like, oh, that'll be it. That's a, I'm turning the page. Yeah. That's the old me. <laughs> you know, some of us are just like, oh, we're fat fucks. We're changing our diet. That's the old me. <laughs> you know, this guy's like, oh, I murdered a bunch of women. That was the old me. I'm a good guy moving forward. Bygones. New year, new me. Yeah, right. That's really the way he he saw himself. He, there's things that he says that it's like, I don't understand what the big deal is. Like, what the fuss is over me? Like, just let me do my thing. The way he Jesus. the way he talks, it's very odd. That's why and he's number one on Dave's punch in the face list. It is one of the reasons. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, that is in fact one of the reasons. <laughs> now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be overwhelming and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, irritability, fatigue, and more. We associate burnout with work, but that's not the only cause. Any of our roles in life can lead us to feel burned out, and BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. When I get burned out, my stress level skyrockets. This usually causes me to have crippling anxiety, which then prevents me from getting anything done. I often have to take time to stop, remind myself to breathe, and just relax. Talking with someone about how you're feeling can also help you out, more than you probably realize. Your mental health should be taken seriously. Nothing can cripple your day or stunt your motivation more than feeling depressed, anxious, or sad. We all have a lot to deal with in our daily lives, be it the struggles of work, keeping food on your table, or even paying the bills. Your mental health is one area that you shouldn't have to worry about. So whether life currently has you down, you're feeling unfulfilled, we're all experiencing our own form of strain in our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you could be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Necronomapod listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash necro. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash necro. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash necro. And thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's podcast. All right, so we hope you guys enjoyed the uh, series on Ted Bundy. You guys got any final thoughts? Hmm. This is where you just say, yeah, and you just go right into like the rest of the show. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I got one more thing. <laughs> so once he was in Chicago, Bundy got on a train to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where he hit up a bar to watch the Rose Bowl game between the Michigan Wolverines and the Washington Huskies. The Huskies won that game because Michigan sucks. Goddamn. Was it a blowout? I don't know. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Preston. I don't think so. 27-20, I want to say. <laughs> we haven't talked about Preston in a while, so I was just trying to give him a shout. Our Michigan boy. wonder if he still listens. You probably you probably like to think so. All your <laughs> shitting on Michigan, which is a beautiful state, by the way. Going up there next month. See, do a little sightseeing. Wear all my Ohio State gear. Go look at all the trophies they don't have because Ohio <laughs> State has them all. <laughs> like this is a nice shelf you got. There's no trophies on it, but it would look nice with one. 
I believe Michigan actually leads the series still going back to inception. Damn. I am not. I don't watch college sports, so I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm not big into college football. But that's also like us Browns fans being like, well, we have more world titles than all of you. Meanwhile, it was before like Super Bowls were invented. Oh, and, still the championship, though. Well, and Tom Brady's like, uh, sit down, motherfuckers. <laughs> I got more than all y'all combined. The Browns had the greatest uh, player in football history, though. They never had Tom Brady. They had the second best. I'm going to entertain that. <laughs> so Ted was getting drunk and having a great time talking to the bartender. It's not entirely clear where he was for five days, but five days after the Rose Bowl game, Bundy stole a Volkswagen Beetle and drove it down to Atlanta. He has a type, right? (laughs) In Atlanta, he bought a bus ticket headed to Tallahassee, Florida. And on January 8th, Bundy was in Tallahassee, ready to start his new life. Like you said, Mike, earlier, joking around. New new start. This was what it was going to be. New start. I'm not going to get in any more trouble. Bygones. Yeah. (laughs) We'll call it even. Let's move on. You don't harass me, cops. I won't do anything wrong. This is something that I found shocking that that $500 went a long way back in 1978 because after buying all the bus tickets and a plane ticket, Bundy rented a hotel room for one night and then he rented a room at a boarding house near Florida State University under the name Chris Hagen. That's like $2,200 in 1978 money. Is it? Yeah. I could make that last if I had to. Yeah. Sure. Being the survivalist I am. Yeah, and I'd be in fucking Mexico. <laughs> We're twenty two hundred dollars get you a lot further. Yep. I don't know if we said it on air or not, but he had all kind of aliases. Chris Hagen's a pretty good one. I wouldn't question that. That's a good name. Yeah, that's a solid one. Um I'd go with Chris Hansen personally. <laughs> There's some other good ones he used. The FBI has a Gary Hammond. That's a pretty good one. That's a good one. Ken Misner. I'm sure I would never think anything about that. Here's one. Rex Bundy. That is absurd. Yeah, it's that's a stupid one. <laughs> like, he was really, like, A-plus names. Yeah. And then that. Like, that's Rex that's, Bundy. That's an F. He used Rex a lot. He must have thought that was really cool or something. Sexy Ted. But, <laughs> like, going to Rex tonight. Also, change your last name, fucko. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Like, Rex <laughs> Handy. Your, your pussy. Like, do something, like, fun with that. Like, have some fun, pal. He also went by Theodore Nelson. Again, not creative. He's still using his real name. And Teddy Nelson. Guy you want to hang out with sometimes, right? I guess. I mean, I like I keep your first name fine, but don't keep Bundy. Did he ever go by Al? No. Well, that's a shame. <laughs> Missed opportunity. <laughs> he went by his mother's birth or uh, her maiden name, too. He went by Ted Cowell sometimes. That's too close to home. Ted Evans. Okay. When he uses his own first name or his own last name, it's like, come on, I man, that is not creative. Yeah, Compared to the least. other stuff he used? Yeah. Gary Hammond's a good one. I would never question that. I'd be like, oh, okay, whatever. What's up, Gare? We're going to shoot pool tonight. <laughs> so Bundy said that he wanted to change his life, get a job, and stop all the crime. He put in one job application at a construction company, and when they asked for his ID to get him um, to get him started on the job, Bundy backed out. He went back to stealing stuff, and for money, he would steal credit cards or cash out of purses. It lasted like a whole three days, that new life. You don't choose your life, man. It chooses you. (laughs) What are you going to (laughs) do? 
So that new chapter lasted about two pages. Yeah. In the late evening on January 14th, 1978, several witnesses at Sherrod's Disco, which was adjacent to the Chi Omega sorority house, saw a man described as being in his early 30s, hanging out at the disco, but not dancing. He was described as being awkward, out of place, and just seemed to be there to watch young women dancing. One young woman said that this man was just staring at her nonstop, and she swore that he was going to come over and ask her to dance, but he never did. He just weirdly stared at her. What, is this so wrong to go to a disco and masturbate? <laughs> Jesus Christ. What kind of fascist country are we living in? What are you looking at? you never seen a guy jack off in the corner before? <laughs> He's like got his hand in his pocket, but it's just like moving. He's like, I feel like he's leaning against a wall with his hand in his pocket. They're like, look at this asshole. It's yeah, a video game in my pocket. I'm playing. There were some eyewitness reports too that said that he was greasy, like looked like he was not showered at all, like he was real, well, real scummy looking. I don't doubt it. Well, he hadn't showered since he broke out of prison, right? I think he probably he probably had. yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> He was used to going though without, uh, yeah, bathing. He was going by uh, Stinky O'Neill as an alias for that week. <laughs> Stinky O'Neill. Hey, ladies, my name's O'Neill. Stinky O'Neill. <laughs> he had a ridiculous mustache at this time too. Did he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of stash? Let's see if I can find it. Real I like quick. ridiculous like mustache. One of my like dad stashes that I can do, or was it more like the? Uh, Gomez Adams kind of curly oh, stash. No, it wasn't. It's not a good mustache. It's, oh. it's real shitty well, looking. Who are you to judge the mustache police? <laughs> True. I mean, I'm going to say that's a shitty mustache. That's <laughs> not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's not even like symmetrical. Like, uh-uh. What the fuck you doing, pal? So that's what he looked like. This is the this, guy this that, that they, you know, Zach Efron. Exactly. Playing this exactly. Fuck, fuck face. I mean, I could have played him then if we're going to just not care about looks. You want me to shave my mustache like all fucking? <laughs> yes. Like, I'll make, it, yes. I'll make it look like I failed geometry and just, you know, have it all fucked up like that. Yes. The answer is yes. Okay. Do it for America. I've been looking for an excuse to go back to a mustache. I just don't there know if the go. world's ready for that. I don't know if I'm ready for my fat face if I shave this beard. <laughs> It's been a long time. My beard hides my chin. I'm never cutting that off. I know, pal. That's the same with me. But I will always remember the la- the first time I did, when we first started this podcast, and I shaved my uh, my beard, and I had this little mustache, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's it's exactly what you think a mustache should be. And I, Ian sees me and goes, that is an exact dad mustache if I've ever seen one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. like, you just need to wear some New Balance jean shorts and mow the lawn because that is a dad stash. Tuck your t-shirt into your jean shorts. (laughs) My white t-shirt. Have my socks pulled up halfway up my calves. Should we do that? Should we all just do mustaches for one day? We we don't have to take any photos that we'll release. Let's just do it. I'm not shaving my beard off to make a mustache. Not once? I don't know, man. I've been working on this beard for a couple months now. One photo of us with just three mustaches. Just one. We'll, 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 We'll talk about it. I'm not saying we have to release it. I just want to have oh, that. just for our own, yeah, our own, our own pleasure. Like look at like like one of us, like we'd be badass. Like one of us puts our foot like on a stool, like you know, just showing bulge, just being men. <laughs> one of us could have a tomahawk in their hand, just something tough. Yeah. I don't know, maybe like an Dave eyebrow. could be like grilling steak. That I can do, like yeah. an eyebrow raised, like the Rock. Yeah, there you go. I can't do that. Can you? No. 
Well, I can't either. Can you? There you go. He's yeah, got a little bit. A little bit. I, no, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't have that forehead uh, <laughs> movement going on. All right. Maybe we'll, we'll put a pin in that, but then that might be an off air thing. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see. I don't know. I want to do a mustache. Come on. <laughs> Sure, round chubby faces. Learn Photoshop and take our beards off. No, that's not as fun. I want to look like the guy from NYPD Blue. It's the cop's name. Just his fat face, his little mustache. (laughs) Right, the one that George Costanza wanted to look like. What's I forget his name. I don't remember. Anyways, that'd be us. (laughs) (laughs) So we aren't entirely sure what snapped that night, but the first thing that pops into my mind to describe it when you go through this is like a rabid animal that is just completely out of control at 2:45 AM Bundy grabbed an Oak log that was sitting on the side of the Chi Omega sorority house. They had a pile of firewood on the side of the house. And with that log, he broke in through a back door that had a busted lock while 21 year old Margaret Bowman was sleeping. Bundy brutally beat her in the head with a log and, we're talking a very brutal beating pieces of her skull were driven deep into her brain. And then he strangled her to death with a pair of pantyhose that he made into a garrote. From there, he moved to the bedroom of 20 year old Lisa Levy, where she was sleeping and he beat her in the head with a log, then strangled her to death. After she was dead, Bundy tore off one of her nipples, bit about as deep as possible into her left buttock that he could without actually removing a whole piece and raped her with a hairspray bottle. Then he went to Kathy Kleiner and Karen Chandler's room and using the log, he broke Kathy's jaw and gave her a severe shoulder injury. Sounds like we're in a bar tonight with all the noise Mike's making. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like he's bartending while he's podcasting. So this is a hundred percent shoot. I, finished my drink and was preparing another one put ice in and i poured the vodka because i didn't want to mess up well then we started chatting got into a conversation and i picked up my drink and i was thinking oh i have a little bit left let me finish this (laughs) and i took a huge swig no no this time i forgot to add my water my bubbly so you're gonna be feeling good here in a little bit well it was just it was one good swig but you know i i'm a hundred percent like not as gone as I have been in many of our shows. I'm having a tough night with my drinks. We need to hire a fucking intern to make our cocktails for us. Is that too much to ask? Shouldn't be. Type up the notes for you. You dictate to him, to, to Declan, our intern. <laughs> you, you dictate him to him. He types them up, sends them to Dave and I, and then he sits and he bartends. We pay nothing, but he'll get a t-shirt. <laughs> and we'll write him a, a glowing letter when he goes off to college or whatever he wants to do. Declan, send your resume. <laughs> Tough night for me on the uh, drink uh, scale. I did that with a glass of Crown here one night. I did that exact yeah. same thing. But it's funny that I went back. I, one, I forgot my vodka. I whole another drink. <laughs> I forgot my, my mixer. Struggle bus USA. Karen Chandler suffered a concussion, broken jaw, and a bunch of her teeth were knocked out. And she also had broken fingers. While attacking these young women, Bundy saw headlights through the window and stopped to flee. This was Nita Neary coming home from a night out with her boyfriend. Nita Neary walked through the back door to see Bundy as he was leaving through the front. He was coming downstairs and went through the front door. Nina came home at 3 a.m., so all of this took place in less than 15 minutes. And there were 30 young women living in this house. It was was just this frantic, silent 
And so this was a full house. Oh yeah, there was thirty people in this house. Yeah, like a like a, just a typical sorority house, you would think. And like, I don't want to get too too gruesome, but like when when he raped Lisa Levy with the hairspray bottle, like she suffered extreme internal injuries from that. Like oh, it, it was, yeah. like this was just a yeah, like a, this rabid frenzy through this house. I wonder why he stopped. I guess enough is enough at some point. Well, they, I'd say, think it was um, him seeing the headlights. So he split. Yeah. So he wouldn't have come home. He might've went through the whole house. Yeah. Still in this frantic state of mind, Bundy walked eight blocks away where he broke into the basement apartment of FSU student, Cheryl Thomas and attacked her while she slept. Bundy dislocated her shoulder, broke her jaw and fractured her skull in five places. Thankfully, Cheryl survived, but she was left permanently deaf and had damaged her equilibrium that made her unable to dance. Cheryl was headed to um, towards a very successful career in dancing, like potential Broadway type stuff, and just completely ruined her life. Devastating. It's just infuriating that this piece of shit had affected so many lives, you know, and kind of seemed to get away with so much of it and or ran away and. Yeah, I mean, really, he should have just been in jail at this point. None of this should have happened. Right. right. I apologize. I just looked at that last paragraph again, and it said Bundy saw headlights through the window and stopped to flee. <laughs> so, sorry, I asked you why he's not. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> but in all fairness, the hairspray bottle that we had mentioned, like when he was he was raping that girl with the hairspray, was the first girl, and then he went and attacked. Kathy and Karen based on the way this reads he killed one so, so but but like the, and the hairspray was allegedly on Lisa Levy right right that was on Lisa Levy so but, he so he did that and then went and attacked the other two within 15 minutes yeah so I mean in all so in, like it might have been a situation Dave like you said where he was just like you know he killed her or whatever and then was you know used the hairspray bottle and then was like okay I'm moving on real quick yeah um, which is just wild that all of this happened in 50 minutes and how many other women might he have attacked had that you not seen those headlights a lot. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. He probably would have went through that whole house until someone woke up. The FBI's timeline has receipts and records of Bundy using various stolen credit cards around Tallahassee up until February 2nd when he stole a white FSU van and drove 150 miles East to Jacksonville. And that's one of the things that I always thought, um, I thought right after the Chi Omega murders that he took off and stole that van and drove. He hung around in town for a while um, before he took off. Didn't he try to break in next door or something or down the street, some other building there? Probably. I think they t- that sounds that right. That documentary, I forget exactly, but like he could have went for more that night. Yeah. It still wasn't done. They have stops marked down for gas and buying maps on the way there. And when he showed up on February 8th, Bundy approached 14-year-old Leslie Permenter and told her that his name was Richard Burton and that he worked for the fire department. Leslie's older brother saw Bundy talking to her and came over to see what was going on. And at that point, Bundy took off. After failing to abduct Leslie, Bundy backtracked 60 miles to Lake City, Florida. On February 9th, 1978, 12-year-old Kimberly Leach was called back to her homeroom to get her purse that she'd left behind, and that's the last time anyone saw her alive. The only person to see anything that day was a firefighter driving by. 
this firefighter was coming home from work and saw a man holding a young girl by her arm and walking her from the school to a white van. He thought to himself that the girl must have gotten in trouble in school or something like that and was being sent home. Seven weeks later, Kimberly's mummified remains were found underneath a hog shed. There was evidence that she had been raped and that her throat was slit, but not not a single slit. There were multiple knife wounds to her neck. I bet that guy replays that day of his life every single day. And what do you do? You know, you're just driving by and you just... I would probably think the same thing, too, because it's a school parking lot. It's like right in front of the school. You know, you're like, oh, shit, she's probably in trouble. Yeah, you're not supposed to think that every situation you see is a bad, you know, horrible situation like this. That's not going to change the fact that this guy thinks about it every day. I'm sure. But no, not that he's wrong at all. It's It's not his fault. Like, you you know, what are you supposed to do? You're just going to wait outside every school and look at anybody that ever walks out angry or with a kid that you're, you know. And yeah. question them. Bundy drove back to Tallahassee where he was still renting that room near FSU and he didn't have the cash to pay for rent. So on February 12th, this fucking guy stole another Volkswagen Beetle and started <laughs> driving west. This is like the fourth or fifth time he has stolen a Volkswagen Beetle in this story. If nothing else, they know that like, <laughs> like don't you want to hey. try to be undercover at least a little bit you know what get a fucking bronco i hear those work pretty well <laughs> get one of those on february 15th bundy was stopped at 1 a.m in pensacola near the alabama state line after a random check of his license plate showed the volkswagen was stolen when officer david lee told bundy he was under arrest for driving a stolen vehicle bundy kicked lee's legs out from under him and started running away Officer Lee fired two warning shots, and when that didn't stop Bundy, Officer Lee chased him down and tackled him. The two of them were wrestling over Officer Lee's gun, but eventually he was able to get the cuffs on Bundy. Inside the Volkswagen Beetle were three IDs of female FSU students, 21 stolen credit cards, and a stolen TV. As they were driving to the police station, Bundy told Officer Lee, quote, I wish you had killed me. In that Mark Harmon deliberate stranger movie, the cop pistol whips his ass. Yeah, hopefully that happened in real life a little bit. <laughs> What's that movie? It's called the deliberate stranger from the eighties, like a TV two night movie based on Bundy. Yeah. It's called the deliberate stranger. That's good. Now pistol whipping. I can get into that. <laughs> <laughs> so now Bundy is done in Sheriff Ken Katsaris. <laughs> is going to like make sure he's done that this is the end of the road for 10 Bundy. Yeah. Good. It's about damn time. I like uh, uh, Sheriff Katsaris a lot. At first I didn't know how to take him because he's very, he's a very outspoken, real charismatic guy. But as he on like the documentaries yeah, and such. Yeah. yeah. What do you say? The death penalty was invented for guys like Bundy. Oh, so I'm sure you guys love him. <laughs> probably have him on a fucking flag or something. <laughs> well, Leading up to this, Bundy was always talking it up to the newspapers and, and TV reporters, you know, when he was in Utah and stuff, showing that charm off to everybody. And Sheriff Caceres kind of like flipped it on him. It was like, oh, you want to be in front of the cameras? Fine. We're going to put you in front of the cameras, but made Bundy look like a fool. And the big thing, like we said, that he had bitten Lisa Levy really bad. The bite impressions were the one of the biggest things for the evidence and Ken Caceres drug him out in front of cameras and like 
held, had them hold his Bundy's mouth open and took the bite impressions on camera yeah. in front of a ton of people. Really? Like embarrassed the fuck out of him. Ted was not pleased. No. <laughs> you, in his eyes, like he looked kind of like an animal backed into a corner yeah. at that point. He did not look like the normal like charming they Ted Bundy. forced him his head onto it like to like make the bite or he did the bite? They like put him back like. He, they restrained him. And, yeah. And this said, like, bite this. Like, like holding his mouth open, right? <laughs> yeah, they straight up held his mouth open. I believe they said in the documentary, this is the first time evidence like this uh, tooth and teeth impressions were used in a case like this. So this is all brand new. Which is crazy and good. Like, that's that's wild. And, and you know, I'm sure he never thought when he bit into that girl's ass cheek that yeah. this was going to be maybe his downfall. Yeah. And he fought the bite impressions a lot. Like he, he knew that that would be it for him. He tried every legal maneuvering he could think of to get out of that. And when there was no more, nowhere left to go, Sheriff Katsaris just fucking took him in front of cameras and did it. <laughs> See now public humiliation. I'm okay with yeah. you don't need to kill people, but public <laughs> humiliation. That's all right. Shame this guy. For all the lives he ruined. Shame. Speaking of shame, I'm going to go pee. <laughs> Bundy stood trial for the Chi Omega murders in June of 1979, and it was the first nationally televised trial. And this was, uh, this was Bundy's time to shine. And during the Chi Omega murder trial, he acted as his own defense attorney. He thought he was going to smooth talk his way out of this, but it became clear early on in the trial that Bundy was just fighting a losing battle. Is this where he was interviewing the officer about what they found at the crime scene and making him repeat it over and over again? Cause he was getting off on hearing about it. Mm -hmm. Awful. Yeah. Where it was like getting to a point where it was weird. It's like, okay, shut up. Yeah. You're getting weird about yeah. it. Describe it again, officer. And he did have a legal team in addition. Like he was part of the legal team. The judge allowed him to be, and he didn't get along with them and they fought about the, how the defense should and operate clear, and things like that. He never obtained his law degree. He no. took some classes, no, no, but no. then all this shit happened. Yeah, he just thought he was a lawyer. Yeah. He's weird. a piece of shit. I mean, Keith Ranieri. They're high, both high on my punch list, <laughs> I've decided. <laughs> he, Dave will take Ted, I'll take Keith. Knock him the fuck out. Tag team man. <laughs> Hell in a cell. The judge loved this guy, though. Mm -hmm. Or he seemed to be uh, very fond of him. Yeah, he told him afterwards that he wished he would have done something different with his life because he would have made a good lawyer. Yeah. Good luck, young man. And I sincerely mean that or something yeah. like that. Again, that's because of the way he looks yeah, and yeah. things. But he must have presented himself as some way in the courtroom for the judge to say that. He did. He has that charm that he put on everybody. Unreal. But the evidence clearly showed yeah. that he did. The judge, I wish you didn't kill all those women. <laughs> Otherwise, you're a swell guy. That's pretty much exactly what yeah, he said. Like, who does that? Well... I think that judge is on the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> there were two events in the trial that would sway the jury against Bundy. The first was Nita Neary's testimony of which she had seen on the night of the murders. While on the stand, she pointed Bundy as the man she saw running down the stairs and out the front door of the Chi Omega house when she was coming back. The second was the testimony of odontologist Dr. Richard Swooveron. While on the stand, Dr. Swooveron described the bite mark injuries found on Lisa Levy's left buttock. The jury was shown full-scale photographs of the bite marks that had been taken on the night of the murder. 
The doctor pointed out the uniqueness of the indentations left behind on the victim and compared them with full-scale pictures of Bundy's teeth. There was no question that Bundy had made the bite marks on Lisa Levy's body. His teeth were very crooked. They're were, they were very... Um, Unique. Yes. Oh, wait, I thought he was a very attractive man. You mean he had awful teeth? <laughs> Not awful teeth, but he had a... Like, especially his bottom ones were a little... They were crooked in a yeah. very unique way. I mean, just the way, like, they bit. Like, they didn't look crooked necessarily or um, messed up? A little bit. They were a little crooked. They looked a little bit. I mean, they weren't, you know... They weren't, like, crazy, but... Gotcha. You know. A little okay. bit of a summer teeth, this guy. There was no way that you could deny it. Uh, don't get me wrong. You know? I have crooked teeth, too. But I, I was just thinking, like, you know, they were all fucked up. No. Janky looking team. No. <laughs> it's not Richard Ramirez, is what you're saying. No, no. Okay. I never thought of Mike as uh, having summer teeth. Mm-mm. I don't know what summer teeth. I mean, just my, bo- my bottom. <laughs> summer here, summer there. No. Summer teeth. <laughs> well, my bottom teeth are crooked. Can you see it? No. Well, let's see. What you we- don't have your glasses on. You can't even <laughs> see, see what we're doing here, fella. <laughs> yeah, all right. Not- Did you have braces? Uh, I did on the top. Mm. I can't remember if I did on the bottom. Clearly not. But I had a, uh, <laughs> I had a band that was on the bot my bottom teeth that it was cemented to the back of my teeth that was supposed to be there forever. Huh. Allegedly, that broke off years ago. Years ago, <laughs> never got it replaced. There's still part of the cement on the back of one of my teeth. Huh. The dentists are like, if it doesn't bother you, leave it on. But so that's why though my bottom teeth are a little crooked. Top teeth are fine, but the bottom are yeah. a little off which is what they they said would happen if that thing broke off and can't you get a new one why oh. yeah. i don't need them fucking around in there i'm fine you're doing quite well for yourself thanks <laughs> i try to be like one of those people that smiles like i don't smile often because you know i don't know what happiness is but uh i don't show my bottom <laughs> teeth when i smile mm. so it's not like anyone really notices the end so that's what I go with, go through with therapy. <laughs> what do you guys discuss with your therapist? So after almost seven hours, the jury returned to the courtroom on July 24th, 1979 with a verdict of guilty. On July 30th, before that same jury that found him guilty, Bundy's mother testified pleading for her son's life. Bundy was also given a chance to address the court where he said that he was innocent, claiming that the prejudice of the media was responsible for his alleged misrepresentation. He also suggested that the entire proceedings and verdict was nothing but a, quote, farce, which he, quote, refused to accept. He went on to tell the courtroom that it was, quote, absurd to ask for mercy for something I did not do, and I will not share the burden of guilt. That arrogant shit was a miscalculation, and Bundy was sentenced to death in the electric chair for the murders of Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy. Six months later, Bundy's trial for the murder of Kimberly Leach started. Bundy decided to not try to defend himself this time, and the strategy was to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. Assistant State Attorney Bob Deckel presented his star witness, who was the firefighter who had seen a man resembling Bundy leading an upset girl matching Kimberly's description to a white van in front of her school. Uh, The defense team argued the legitimacy of the testimony because the man was unable to recall the day he had seen the man and the little girl, which I get it. It's it's kind of shaky eyewitness but Deckel continued to press and present even more convincing evidence the most damaging was fiber evidence which linked Bundy's clothes and the van he had driven that day with the crime scene also fibers matching those from Kimberly Leach's clothes 
were found in the van and on Bundy's clothing that he had allegedly worn on the day of the crime. The prosecution's expert witness who testified about the fiber analysis stated that without a doubt at some point, Bundy and Kimberly Leach had been in contact around the time of her death. So hard to refute that evidence. And he does. He never admits this murder. I think it's that shame of a 12 of killing a child in the first. Remember, I was talking earlier about the first 40 or so pages of that book uh, with Stephen McCod. He denies all of this when he's presented with this fiber evidence, even though the fiber evidence, you know, is pretty solid is right there. He's like, no, it was not me. I never stole that van that he will not admit to any of this. Mm. It's the same thing like Richard Ramirez. Richard Ramirez killed a 12 year old girl. I remember. Yeah. DNA proved it. There's without a doubt. He nine. Did it. Wasn't a nine year old. Maybe she was nine. He refused to admit he would not talk about that at all. Everything else. Fine. Not the nine year old. Well, cause the kid stuff will get you fucked up in prison. I mean, maybe that's some of it. That's very true. Yeah. When you have to do life. Yeah. You're gonna was be that where Ramirez while. did life? I can't remember. Probably was California, so was it just life? Was there that a death penalty even back then? Oh yeah, for California was that? But he didn't do that. Did he do life? I don't remember. I know he died from like natural causes. Yeah, yeah. eventually. Was it one of those times, or was that that period where they commuted all the death sentences? That's what I mean. Like maybe he was in that area. Yeah, I don't remember. Somebody who's listened to that show recently will tell us. (laughs) That was three years ago. What the fuck are we supposed to do? There's also the other guy that we haven't done an episode on yet, but uh, Arthur Shawcross, another serial killer. He killed two young kids early on and interviews when anybody tries to bring that up. He's, he just straight up stops the interview right there. And he's like, I will not talk about this. If you want to go down that road, I'm leaving. I'm mm. not talking about it. So I think it's what it's, you said that you'll get fucked up in prison. That mixed with some kind of shame of not wanting to yeah. admit that. Do you think they're thinking about prison? Is that what it is? Or is it the shame? Like, is it is it weirdly where they draw the line of like regret and remorse as opposed to yeah, not? Maybe some of both. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's just something extra horrific, I guess, about killing a kid. I, I don't disagree. I'm just wondering if they're thinking like the long game, like, oh, okay, I better shut up about that because I know where this is heading. I'm going to be here a while. Yeah, right. The other thing about Kimberly Leach, too, is there was evidence that she was, you know, that he raped her, too. So yeah. we we're talking about raping a 12-year-old. Yeah. During the penalty phase of the Kimberly Leach trial, Bundy used a really obscure Florida law that if you declare marriage and both people agree in front of the judge at that trial, it <laughs> results in a legal marriage. As he was questioning Carol Ann Boone, who had moved to Florida to be closer to Bundy, had testified on his behalf during both trials and was again testifying on his behalf as a character witness, he asked her to marry him. She accepted, and Bundy declared to the court that they were legally married. I declare <laughs> marriage! I was literally coming up to the mic to say that. I'm it's sorry. Great. No, it's great. That's good stuff. <laughs> what a lucky girl. Where, where they go on their honeymoon? Mm. The conjugal visit yeah, right, right in the... One of the, one of the little uh, cabins in the back. <laughs> On February 10th, 1980, Bundy was sentenced for a third time to death by electrocution. As the sentence was announced, um, he reportedly stood and shouted, quote, tell the jury they were wrong. And jurors later said that they felt that they had seen the true Ted Bundy in that moment when the anger came out. Like everything dropped for a second and he screamed. Yeah. 
quite a glimpse into the guy. In October 1981, Carol Boone gave birth to a daughter named Rose and said Bundy was the father. Conjugal visits were not allowed at Florida State Prison in Rayford, where Bundy was incarcerated, but inmates would bribe the guards with money to give them alone time with female visitors. Semen smuggler. Is that been 100% proven that that's Bundy's kid? I don't think 100% proven, but I mean, they were married. Well, they declared. I'm 99.9% sure that a guard did watch the door while they fucked. And then the second question is, has there ever been any follow up with Rose or is she kind of like, yeah, she's even Carolyn Boone is gone. I mean, nobody, she, there's a lot of theories that she changed her name. So she might still be alive out there. We don't know if she's dead or whatever. Yeah. She did a good job of disappearing. Okay. But we'll we'll talk about it in a, in a bit. We'll we'll wrap up. No, no, I didn't put it in the outline, but we'll wrap up with her because she doesn't just disappear because she's uh, had a good conscience. Like, Oh fuck. I banging Ted Bundy and I helped him escape from jail and shit. So we'll we'll talk about it later, but I still feel like if she smuggled all that stuff in, which led to him escaping, which led to these additional murders, she's it's an accomplice, some sort of an accessory or an accomplice here and and has some responsibility for that. A lot of that's hidden just saying it. So I don't know if there's something like the credibility. They're like, Oh, can we trust this guy to bring charges when he's our only witness of it? So they have no proof that she did any of that. It was just his, him saying it. Yeah, but, I mean, you can see her, her behavior, the way she talks to reporters, like, oh, Ted never did any of this. Yeah. He's completely innocent. She's, like, you know, championing for his um, for his freedom, you know, right. his innocence, which I found out that is a mental disorder when, when women or men want to be with a murderer or someone that's, like, a criminal like that. Hmm. It's a paraphilia. Interesting. Paraphilia. Good thing Casey was found not guilty. I would have felt bad about myself here. Yeah, you would have had. Clean. You have nothing to feel guilty yeah. about. Hybristophilia. Hmm. Hybristophilia. Yeah, I feel you. It's also known <laughs> as the Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. Oh, okay. Where you feel this excitement from. What if she's just super hot? Around. Yeah, right. I was. I have no excitement from Casey. <laughs> she's just fucking smoke show. <laughs> oh, we're going to piss so many people off. <laughs> They do not like when we say that. God created her that way. It's not our fault, Mike. The dangle wants the dangle wants. <laughs> um, so Bundy refused to give up, and he believed that he still had a chance. In 1982, he hired a new lawyer and appealed the Chi Omega murder trial verdict to the Florida Supreme Court. However, his appeal was eventually denied. Shortly following the court's denial of a new hearing, Bundy decided to appeal the Kimberly Leach trial verdict. In May 1985, his request was again turned down. However, he kept up a fight, and in 1986, he hired a new lawyer to help him out of the death penalty. Spoiler, it did not work. That woman's name was Diana Weiner. There is rumor and allegations that... Her name was Dine or Weiner? (laughs) No, Diana Weiner. Oh, okay. (laughs) This guy. (laughs) Uh, There's take option C, 69-her. (laughs) there's allegations um that she started banging ted bundy so carol carolyn boone the only reason she left and like took off and ditched bundy was because of diana weiner interesting she either 
was jealous for no reason or he really was banging this woman. This woman says absolutely not. It wasn't happening. You know, who knows? But that's why Carolyn Boone took off. Maybe it was just a new woman in his life that was like helping him. And, and she got jealous. Yeah. Something. She was like, oh, I guess I'm not the most important thing to him right now. Yeah, she didn't. Yeah. So she didn't leave of her own like a uh, good conscience or anything. I mean, she's clearly not in the right mind, so. Right. No, yeah. She's a fucking maybe, lunatic already. Maybe so if, if nothing has happened to her, maybe that was a smart move. Get the fuck out of there now. And mm. and no one's going to speak of you again. If they don't take him seriously or credible as what with what he's saying. Yeah, this is when she cut off contact with him. Could we send Mike on an investigation to find Carol Ann Boone? Should you want me to do, do investigatory? Well, you know. I'm good. I'm I'm no good at looking up uh, tombstones. We've established that. <laughs> Spent an hour and a half in that cemetery and couldn't find a uh, gravestone that I didn't even know whether or not it existed. The odds were against you, pal. There's some. I don't think I have it open anymore. But there, there are some people online that did some some sleuthing around and felt that they had potentially found out what she had changed her name to Is that or right? where she moved. Yeah. Bundy's execution date was initially scheduled for March 4th, 1986. However, his execution was postponed while his new defense attorney, Polly Nelson, worked on his appeals for his previous murder convictions. Two months later, the appeal was denied and another death warrant was issued for Bundy by the state of Florida. According to Polly Nelson's book, Defending the Devil, the last appeal was made to the U.S. Supreme Court, who eventually denied Bundy's last day of execution on January 17, 1989. In Bundy's 11th hour, he decided to confess to more crimes to Washington State Attorney General's Chief Investigator Bob Keppel. We've talked about Keppel throughout this whole thing, um, and a lot of the details we used throughout this were his, um, his confessions that he made. Bundy also assisted Keppel in his hunt for our old friend Gary Ridgway from death row in the mid eighties. And Bundy really trusted Keppel. Keppel went to meet Bundy in an interviewing room at the prison with a tape recorder where Bundy confessed to, like I said, the stuff we've been talking about the past couple weeks. And he didn't really help with Gary Ridgway. No. People like to think that Ted Bundy was like this. It's like, Oh, we talked to the serial killer to catch the serial killer. He gave some solid information about how Gary, like the killer would probably go back to the crime yeah. scene stuff. But a lot of it was just bullshit, like rambling bullshit. No Did, Hannibal Lecter then? No. Didn't, which <laughs> I call it help? Um, Kemper. Didn't he do something with helping people? Or am I just making that up? Am I mixing no. the stories? He didn't. Maybe we did talk about Bunch. He, he said there was something Kemper said along the lines of like, there's a lot more lot more of me out there than you think maybe that's something like that of. yeah which she's absolutely right and we'll never know that extent which is terrifying to think about but finally on january 24th 1989 bundy was executed via electric chair at 7 16 a.m his last words were towards his attorney jim coleman and methodist preacher fred lawrence quote jim and fred i'd like you to give my love to my family and friends Outside, hundreds of people sang and danced and set off fireworks in this big pasture across from the prison as the execution was carried out. And then they cheered as the hearse carrying Bundy's body left the prison. It was wild. People were chasing after it and yeah. stuff. People were jacked up. They were selling shirts that said Fry Bundy and shit. <laughs> that was a scene. Do we have any idea what his last meal was? Yes, I do. 
All right. Actually, he did not make a request, so he received the standard uh, last meal from the state of Florida, which includes a steak, eggs, toast, hash browns, milk, coffee, and juice. It's he, not an awful last meal. He did not touch one bite. Didn't even touch it. He would. He would do some stupid shit like that. <laughs> I also feel like if I'm on death row and I know tomorrow morning I'm going to be killed, I'm probably not going to have much of an appetite either. And I know we talk about, like, what would you have? What would you want? And it's it's fun to think about, like, in that sense. Like, oh, I would pick this and this. Yeah. I don't know if I could eat anything either. Like, I'm just waiting there like, okay, just kill me. I guess I'm eating bean burritos. So I shit so myself when they kill me and they have to clean me up. You'll always remember me by the shit stains on the wall. <laughs> I found a good website that had like all the crime scene photos, like ones that I'd never seen before. And there was a picture of him after he was executed. He like looked real peaceful and he had, really? like, he had like these marks, like his head was shaved and yeah. he had like these red marks on his head, but he looked really peaceful. I'm like, did not expect him to look like that. Then I scrolled down and there was one. They obviously had cleaned him up in that picture af- like afterwards. His fucking head was black. Like, oh boy. like fried black. Can we post that? I don't know. <laughs> I, after this week, I don't know what we can post. We had a fucking photo taken down. It was of his Volkswagen. Instagram and Facebook both, right? Took it down. Yeah. Community standard violation. Something for violence. Yeah. I don't know. It's the algorithm messed up or something. Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked when I saw the the actual picture. I'm like, God damn. Oh, I got to see that. Yeah. It just looked I think like I've seen that before though. Can yeah. you send, send it to us and we'll okay. post it, post it. <laughs> Maybe we will. I don't Okay. People probably want to see that after the fucking three weeks we just had. Oh yeah. We're I not, get- we, we don't do crime scene <clears throat> photos obviously anymore because I don't know. I just, it's not tasteful and, we don't need no, that. No, this this guy, like uh, the sheriff said, is who the death penalty was made for. I'm completely fine with Ted Bundy being executed. Yeah, he was cremated in Gainesville, and his ashes were scattered at an undisclosed location in the Cascade Range of Washington State, unclear by who. There are a ton of murders that Bundy is still considered a suspect in. Bundy told Detective Keppel in an interview they did in 1987 that there were some murders that he would never talk about because they were, quote, too close to home, too close to family, or involved victims that were very young. Um, So I just wanted to run through some of these. Anne-Marie Burr, age eight, disappeared from her home in Tacoma on August 31st, 1961, when Bundy was 14. An unknown tennis shoe imprint was found by an overturned bench used to enter her house. Due to the small size of the shoe, police believed that the perpetrator was probably a teenager. The Burr house was on Bundy's newspaper delivery route. The victim's father was certain that he saw Bundy in a ditch at a construction site on the nearby UPS campus the morning his daughter disappeared. Other circumstantial evidence implicates Bundy as well, but detectives familiar with the case have never agreed on the likelihood of his involvement. Bundy repeatedly denied being responsible and wrote a letter to the Burr family in 1986 denying it. But Detective Keppel pointed out that Anne-Marie Burr fits all three of Bundy's no-goes for talking. The too close for home, too close to family, and very young. Seems pretty likely to me, right? Yeah. That's a lot of circumstantial evidence. More than some of these other cases. Right. 
Uh, flight attendants Lisa Wick and Lonnie Trumbull, both age 20, were bludgeoned with a piece of wood as they slept in their basement apartment in Seattle's Queen Anne neighborhood on June 23, 1966. Lonnie died from her injuries and Lisa survived. Bundy was in the area at the time. This fits mm-hmm. his MO. Mm-hmm. This would have been early of that escalation we talked about, too, with like just the breaking into the house, bludgeoning in the head. And you never, you can never tell with him because he always told people different things. Sure. You know, as far as when he started. Well, that's what I mean. Like we talked about with like the, that was the Chi Omega sorority house when Mm -hmm. he just broke in and started attacking these women. And that seemed different than what we had discussed. So maybe, you know, maybe that was something a little further that he had done. Right. Chose not to talk about that shit. Vacationing college friends, Susan Davis and Elizabeth Perry, both 19 were stabbed to death on May 30th, 1969. Their car was found that day abandoned beside the Garden State Parkway outside of Summers Point, New Jersey, near Atlantic City, 60 miles southeast of Philadelphia. And their bodies, one nude and one fully clothed, were found in nearby woods three days later. Bundy attended Temple University from January through May 1969 and did not move west until after Memorial Day weekend. His accounts of his earliest crimes changed, like we said, you know, based on who he was talking to, but he told forensic psychologist Art Norman that his first murder suspects were two women in the Philadelphia area. Uh, Rita Curran, age 24, she was an elementary school teacher and part-time motel maid, was murdered in her basement apartment on July 19, 1971 in Burlington, Vermont. She had been strangled, bludgeoned, and raped. The location of the motel where she worked, which was adjacent to Bundy's birthplace, the Elizabeth Lund home for unwed mothers. Bundy told Detective Keppel that he murdered a young woman in 1971 in Burlington when he was there to get information about his birth, but denied specific involvement in the Patricia Curran case on the eve of his execution. No evidence firmly places Bundy in Burlington on that date, but multiple municipal records note that a person named Bundy was bitten by a dog that week and long stretches of Bundy's time, including the summer of 71 are still unaccounted for completely. Well, you can make strong cases for all of these. Yeah. Especially this one too. Yeah. Rita Jolly, age 17 disappeared from West Lynn, Oregon on June 29th, 1973. Vicki Holler, age 24 disappeared from Eugene, Oregon on August 20th, 1973. Bundy confessed to two murders in Oregon without identifying the victims. Oregon detectives suspect that they were Jolly and Holler, but were unable to get an interview with Bundy to confirm it. Both of them are still classified as missing. Sandra Weaver, age 18, a Wisconsin native who had been living in Utah, was last seen in Salt Lake City on July 1st, 1974. Her new body was discovered the following day near Grand Junction, Colorado. Sources conflict on whether Bundy mentioned her name during death row interviews and her murder remains unsolved. Melanie Cooley, age 18, disappeared on April 15, 1975, after leaving Nederland High School in Nederland, Colorado, 50 miles west of Denver. Her bludgeoned and strangled body was discovered by road maintenance workers two weeks later in Coal Creek Canyon, 20 miles away. Gas station receipts placed Bundy nearby on the day Cooley disappeared. She's included in some compilations of Bundy victims, but Jefferson County authorities say that evidence is inconclusive and they continue to treat her murder as a cold case. 
And the last one is Shelly Robertson, age 24. She failed to show up for work in Golden, Colorado on July 1st, 1975. Her nude decomposed body was found in August, 500 feet inside a mine by two mining students. Gas station receipts placed Bundy in the area at the time, but there's no direct evidence of his involvement, and that remains open. In 2011, Bundy's complete DNA profile was found, uh, which was gotten from a vial of blood found in an evidence vault. This was added to the FBI's DNA database for future reference to maybe solve some money. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. But nothing since then has come about it. Mm -mm. It's quite a story, buddy. At long last, they waited. We gave them episode 200. 201, 202. <laughs> he also, in 1979, he did an interview with an evangelical preacher, James Dobson, about, you know, he confessed, this was his thing to confess everything on TV to James Dobson, and he blamed porn. It was on TV? Oh, yeah. It was he confessed a, the whole thing? Mm -hmm. It was aired. I don't think I ever saw that. Yeah, there's a whole video of it. You can watch huh. He blamed porn, mm -hmm. violent porn. Like he started looking at porn and then it just became more and more violent. And then James Dobson used that as like a thing like, oh, we got to fight back against porn. Mm. Well, porn is the devil. Obviously, we know that. Obviously. But then he told, you know, FBI guys later on and stuff that that was all bullshit. He was just doing that to get one over on. What year was that? Uh, 79. He did that interview. So was he forgiven by Jesus and now he's up in heaven with all the victims? According that, to uh, what, that what's going on now? Was James, James Dobson. Dobson, the focus on the family clown. Yeah, he. I was I was looking at his Wikipedia. He wrote a book about, it was like the war against marriage or something like yeah, how to save yeah, marriage. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, he did say that Ted Bundy was, you know, born again Christian. Whatever. Great. Going to heaven. Yes. That's all that matters in the end, right? That's it. As long as you accept Jesus and beg for forgiveness, you're safe. Fast track to heaven, buddy. Boom. You skip purgatory even. No purgatory for you. Kill all the 12-year-olds you want. That's right. You can be with them in heaven. Well, before this gets too out of hand. Don't get an abortion, though. But you can kill a couple 12-year-olds. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. We've been going on this for two hours and 26 minutes. Let the drunk guy take control now, the wheel. <laughs> there was something we were going to follow up at the end about his mother. She said, we'll talk more about yeah, her. I've, I feel really bad for his mother. She's a, just a really quiet woman. You can tell she doesn't know what to say and that she's genuinely just upset by the whole thing. She really thought he was innocent. Yeah. Like that there was no way her son could do this. And yeah. Not in a delusional way weird way which is mm -hmm. just awful for her yeah and i feel like just the whole thing she had to give birth to him in that unwed mother's thing and then yeah. forced to say that she was his sister and like nothing good yeah i just feel in the way he talked about her is like absolute resentment like she was just such a piece of shit and i think it was very unfair i think it's probably accurate yeah. Yeah. i don't know i just feel bad for his mother not like uh, Ed Kemper's mom who like locked him in the fucking basement and shit. For sure. All right, she well, got her comeuppance. <laughs> well, she yeah. certainly did. We got any final thoughts <laughs> on uh, comeuppance in her throat? <laughs> that was kind of shy. That was a shocking detail to me when I realized how he did that. It was wild. Yeah, I thought it was in the mouth, but nope. That was in the neck. 
area. He put her tongue in the garbage disposal and stuff, right? Yeah, because she was a weird detail. Because she always ran her mouth to him. Oh, my God. And her vocal cord. Like, he ripped everything up through in there. He probably heard it talking to him as he was doing it. Yeah, like, I was hey, what are you doing? (laughs) His method of vengeance is just so insane. Um, I I don't know. I I was going to say any final thoughts, but I feel like it's been three weeks I don't know if there's much left to be said. Story stands for itself, I think. I did learn a lot of stuff I had not previously been aware of. Definitely a good three-part. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I learned a bunch of stuff, too, Yeah, that I didn't know. Seems like everyone enjoyed it, so. Got some new patron shout-outs to get to. Thank you very much to Zach Baker, Lieutenant Tongue Punch, your fart box (laughs) of the Seaman Fleet, (laughs) Grandpa Still Missing, Dana Shepard, Adrian Stravers, Eaton Beaver. <laughs> uh, was that you? It was. <laughs> you were laughing too hard for me not to guess that one. Uh, <laughs> I got to start poker facing this when we read these. Uh, Brewa, Sebastian Vitt, one of Mike's college hookups. It's not my kid. Jamie is a rude trader. Trisha Kaufman. Fuck Ian. Marry Mike and kill Dave. That's not nice. Smart. That's what I would do. (laughs) Who would marry me? Brock Sujden. Joe Hedlund. Alex. Jade. Dylan Hamrick. Nancy P. Colleen Backer. Guys, I have to shit. Dave, you have to finish the list. Okay, uh, Mike Hunt, Harry Balzac. <laughs> oh, that was just the name. Sorry. That would have been funny. I thought I was Dave taking that, over. Dave made up that name, and then he had his own list of people. <laughs> I read off like 40 joke names. <laughs> that was your guys' way of telling me I'm fired from reading the patrons. Uh, Lou Hollander, James O'Mara, Anthony G, Arden Atheist, Regina Ebner, Comaker Manny Hafenstein. Hafenstein. That's a name. I apologize if I messed that one up. Trisha Hadley. What's up with Lagras? Laura Dundavin. Andrea Fletcher. Will Martinez. Violet Rage. Tino Saman. Kentucky Bourbon. I Hate Toes. Tara Williams. Jay Stees. Bitterroot Wellness. Lil redhead girl. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Little redhead girl. Are you following along with me, Dave? I am. Just so I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> See, it works. Adam Carp. It was Lil and there's just a bunch of consonants. And I was like, oh, girl. <laughs> Adam Carp, Kayla Marie, Marty, Serena J, Joseph Sanders, Steph Leopard. Liam McLaughlin, Danielle, Annabelle, yes, like the doll, and Brandon High. Thank you all very much. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Ian. For iTunes, I have one for Nikita Green, Javi Namapod, Ian Sugar Dad. Still waiting on that check. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Michelle, Silverbridge Cinderella, Slayer 666. Hell yeah. Blueberry Goo, Panda Bear Bush. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. Intriguing. Johnny Maya 1, J. Lewis 89, 
and Cindy Magoo 10. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. Samantha Loves Dave forgot to update her uh, reviews. She must have. Mm-hmm. Happens, I like this. I guess. How about this commander fleet or whatever we're building? <laughs> this is a fucking army mm-hmm. or a navy at it's this legit, point. Right? Right? Like, we need to make shirts, I think. <laughs> it's the same fucking person probably every month, just <laughs> like quitting and re-signing up with a new email or whatever. All right, Dave, what do you got? International. International, I have one for Not Joe Peck from New Zealand and for Andrew 1975 from Australia. So uh, thank you for the kind reviews. And with this being 4th of July weekend, I'd be remiss if I did not play this clip. Bag up, bag up, bag up, Terry. Put it in reverse, Terry. Put it in reverse. Oh, Lord. Lord, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. What the fuck? What you doing, Terry? Terry, what's going on? Happy birthday, America. The greatest fireworks (laughs) video ever. Close second is the bootleg firework. Oh, that one's good, too. It looks like a fucking war is (laughs) going on in the street. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This was a damn good series. That's how you fucking podcast, boys. That's good shit. Yeah. I like when I learn stuff about these bigger ones, too. Yeah, it makes it more interesting. The stories you've been hearing about for years and... uh, Finding new facts about it. And hopefully people like it. I mean, literally since episode one, people have been asking for us to do Ted Bundy. Yeah, of course. Well, I thought we did it already, right? Well, we did a very good version and people apparently rejected it. I don't know why. <laughs> I thought that show was fantastic. It's very good. <laughs> you guys want to spoil any shows here before we leave this week? Or you want to talk we- about the end of Stranger Things? Was that on? Uh, was that on Bundy Two or was that on the uh, uh, bonus show that we spoiled things? I don't remember. It was on Bundy Two. Yeah, I saw people thought it was awesome. People were like, "That was an epic spoiler ending." Some people did not love it. I, I literally exhausted the shows I've watched, so I have nothing else to spoil. <laughs> Somebody was not happy. Say? Andy Bernard became boss. Did we talk about that last week? You did no. say that, yeah. Oh, oh, you did. Andy mm-hmm. Bernard became boss. Uh. <laughs> no. we talked about californication we talked about west wing yeah curb your enthusiasm still going i can't yep. spoil that i don't know what else yeah let's spoil something no <laughs> we spoiled nothing the shows were so old well i was going to talk about mash but i don't want to in case someone hasn't seen <laughs> that true. show yet i don't want to spoil how that, that show did end like a decade before Ian and i were born <laughs> i have not watched all of mash but I've watched a good amount. I like MASH. It's really funny. And it's does that still hold up, Dave, as one of the greatest finales ever? Because at the time it was known and like is like one of the best. It was pretty good. Have we talked I think we've talked about what the greatest finale ever is. We're getting too long. It doesn't matter. Some you know other, what? Some other day. If you want to hear our thoughts on the greatest finale ever, maybe we'll discuss it on this week's bonus show or the next bonus show. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod, Patreon.com, slash Necronomapod, Amazon.com, search Necronomapod for all of our latest merch. And for this weekend only, if you go to Necronomapod.com 
for $7.04, get it, July 4th, <laughs> you can get a three-pack of stickers for $7.04. It's a hell of a deal. God bless America. God bless America. Play Terry one more time. I want to hear him <laughs> say put it in reverse. I love how no one goes to help him. <laughs> just watching. <laughs> The poor guy, his, his fucking, his, his uh, wheelchair just won't move. Like, it's not his fault. Bag up, bag up, bag up, Terry. Put it in reverse, Terry. Put it in reverse. Oh, Lord. Lord, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Oh, Jesus. What the fuck? What you doing, Terry? Terry, what's Nobody helps him. Nobody runs over there and pulls him away. Fireworks fucking up is one of the funniest things ever. Yes, it is. Well, until it blows limbs off, but yeah, good thing it didn't happen to Terry. Oh yeah, Terry. It seemed like Terry made it out all right. Yeah, he was all right. Might have lost some hearing on that though. (laughs) His ears were probably fucking ringing (laughs) for a long time. Um, so anyways, uh, will have a sale on uh, three pack of stickers. If you guys want to check that out for this, uh, special holiday weekend only. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>